0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hello, my name is Mark R. LePage and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 348, Marilyn Modinger, expanding her role as an architect by selling custom-designed retail products. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Marilyn Modinger, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Thanks, Mark. Great to be here.
0: It is great to have you here, my friend. Um, Marilyn, it has been a while. It's been a while since you've been here. You've been on the podcast before. You joined us back in episode 224, where you shared your story and your lessons learned as an architect and a competitive power lifter. Um, and that, is a, that was a great episode. I had a lot of fun about that. Um, you know, when people look at you, they don't think power lifter. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a great story and some really, really powerful lessons shared in that episode. So I highly recommend people go back and listen to episode 224. Uh, learn all about that part of Marilyn's life and what she's doing there, um, but that's been a while. That's been over 100 episodes. I'd like you to go back to sharing your story, uh, but before we do that, let me do a little bit of an intro, give people a little bit of a background on who you are, and then you can dive deeper into who you are and where you've come from. Uh, Marilyn is the founding principal of Runcible Studios based in the Boston, Massachusetts area. It's not in Boston, right? It's just outside of Boston?
1: Correct, yeah, but you know, close enough.
0: Yep. Like the Runcible Spoon, Marilyn is happiest operating at the seams between practicality and whimsy, utility and beauty, the esoteric and the mundane. Deeply passionate about the capacity for design to affect positive change in the world, Marilyn's interest in all aspects of housing, the connections between urban and rural life, the construction process, justice in the built environment and the overlaps among disciplines, methodologies, and practices fuels Runcible Studios' mission to be nimble, rigorous, curious, fun, and meaningful. I love that that (laughs) intro, by the way. Really well well done. Um, So before we jump into what you're doing today at Runcible, um, there's lots going on there since our last episode. Um, I'd like you to provide some context, go back to your story, your origin story, share that with our listeners. I'd I'd like to know when you discovered your passion for architecture and what or who inspired you to become an architect?
1: Well, I think um, it would be interesting to compare my origin story as I'm telling it now with my origin story as I told it in the past (laughs) episode, which I didn't listen to before this. So we'll, we can compare and see if they're the same. Um, I, ever since I was little tiny, I've always wanted to build things and I grew up on a farm. There was lots of room to build and explore and make forts and that kind of thing. And on rainy days drawing, you know, you can, um, draw the worlds that you imagine. Um, and I never really knew, I didn't know any architects. I didn't, know anybody who did that kind of work growing up and it wasn't until well into high school that someone pointed out that there was a job a career that i could do that involved drawing and buildings and all of that i don't know why i didn't really put it together before then um when i took a career aptitude test it said that my top two uh potential careers were actress and car mechanic so I guess if you put those two together, you get architect. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Actress plus car mechanic equals architect. I don't
1: know. Like, what was that? So anyway, but I, I so I started to look at architecture schools and I remember going to, um, as a junior, junior in high school, going on the college, you know, looking at colleges with my parents and looking, walking into studios for the first time and seeing what studio education was all about and feeling like I had come home like these were my people this was uh something that this is how my brain worked you know the rigorous engineering side and also the artistic side the maker the figure it out um the creator side of me so um so yeah so I went to architecture school and loved it so much I just I just loved it so much um and then after that uh went into construction. So right out of school, I got a job as a laborer in construction and um, was, feel very lucky that a lot of my, that my parents, my, my mentors, my friends were supportive of that decision. I'm not sure that everybody might, um, would have been, but they were. Um, so that What, was really it, what great. inspired,
0: what inspired that move? I mean, because that's not a typical thing coming out of architecture school to go into construction. Um, some, some architecture students do that. I worked construction throughout architecture school, but why, why that choice rather than going into an architecture firm?
1: Well, I, my fourth year of undergrad, I was, uh, involved in a project called Ecomod, which is still, which used to be housed at university of Virginia, where I went to school, but is now at, um, university of New Mexico. Um, and that project, um, we designed and built a house. As fourth year students, so there were fourth years and then there were grad students as well and that house was modular um, it was uh, for, it was affordable it was an affordable house um, very sustainable, you know all that kind of stuff um, and I was just bitten by the bug to build things it was it was captivating to be able to draw something in the studio and then that afternoon go out to the field and and try to build the thing we had drawn and wow, did we learn a lot? (laughs) Did we learn a lot about what lines mean on paper versus what they mean in the field? And I just felt like I had a lot more to learn. And the best place to learn that was in construction. So I kind of saw, I I ended up working in construction for four years um, and worked my way out of the field and was an estimator, project manager, all that kind of stuff, Um, you know, running jobs myself um, for a larger contractor. And I really felt, I really just saw it as a continuation of my education. Um, Plus it was really fun. (laughs) When, when,
0: When you went into construction, was it the plan to work construction, learn what I need to learn from there, gather and grab what I can from that part of the industry and then move into architecture? Or when you did that initially, you thought, I like construction, I like building things. I'm going to just go do that instead.
1: Um, I think one hallmark of the way that I look at my life and my career is that I don't see anything as permanent. So when I went into construction, it wasn't like this is a career change that I'm making. I was 22, you know, (laughs) and and I also didn't see it as this is a thing I will do for X number of years, learn X number of information, you know, things and, and this kind of information and then go to grad school. There was no plan. It was a these are the things I'm interested in and this is the world where I can learn that stuff. And when it got to the point where I felt like I had learned a lot and I was ready to go back to grad school, then I went to grad school. But I did not, it sounds like I had this grand plan when when you sort of look back over how my career has played out, but it definitely was not a grand plan. (laughs) It was about any time I was curious about something, I wanted to get to the bottom of it. And I wanted to not just do it for a month, but do it for years and figure out exactly how it worked. but yeah, nothing's permanent. And that's how I look at my business too. Nothing's permanent. Yeah, Just give yeah. it a try. See. What I was happens. going to
0: say that as we get into this, this episode, <laughs> you'll learn that not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All right. So, so you, so you went into construction after construction, you went into grad school. Where'd you go for grad school?
1: I was at university of Virginia also for grad okay. school. Yep.
0: And then, so take it, take it from there. Where, what happened from there?
1: So after Uh, So, I graduated um, in a recession, so that was scary, but uh, so I had a job offer in Boston, a city that I had been to once in my life when I was like 11, and so I moved here sort of sight unseen, (laughs) Um, and um, it wasn't much of a job offer. I had to move here and sort of be available, and then if the job materialized, then I would get to take it. So, it all worked out in the end, but it was a little scary. so, I was actually teaching also. I got an adjunct position at Northeastern. So, I was teaching studio, and um, I had also won the SOM prize my final year in grad school. So, the year after I graduated grad school, I packed up my whole life, moved to Boston where I knew nobody, took a teaching job for the first time in my life, took half a job at an architecture firm, and spent 18 months traveling the world in between everything and writing a book. So, um, it was a little uh it, it was intense, but it was really fun. Um so once the dust sort of settled from all of that, I was working for um a firm here in Boston called UTL, um, which in those days was like 18 or 20 and now they're up to like 60 people. Um so we were doing housing, um really just great quality work. Um I learned a lot, made a lot of really good um friends and connections there, um, who are still valued friends and colleagues today. Um and then I decided to <laughs> take a job in um, academia, so I completely switched around and um, became a, an administrator at the um, at Boston Architectural College. Um, I was the director of practice instruction there, um, and uh, was in charge of all the sort of design, build, and community engagement projects. So while I was there, we did. Um, It was like 60 or 80 projects with students, connecting groups of students up with local nonprofits to do semester long um, design projects or design build projects. Sometimes we could stretch the projects to be several semesters so students could continue to work on them. Um, The idea being that um, nonprofits need design help um, and students need real world experience. So we kind of created this uh, way for students to get that experience. So again that was that was great um what's interesting though is that i took that job i loved writing curriculum i love the students i love all that stuff um but i'm a i'm a builder i'm an architect so (laughs) i i again nothing's permanent so i felt you know that was a very interesting time for me to make lots of connections and learn about a lot of different things that are adjacent to our industry um and now one of my biggest source of referrals is former students (laughs) So I know, I know lots of people at lots of different firms because they're all my former students. Um, so yeah, then I, I decided that um, I had three more exams to go till I was licensed and I was burnt out from how hard I was working as an administrator. And I basically just quit one day without a plan. So <laughs> um, when people say, how did you start your business and you saved up and you did this? And I was like, well, I just sort of started by accident. Um, and uh, I finished my exams, took some time to to rest and to do some odd jobs that I had kind of lined up already. And um, next thing you know, I was I had a real job or two and I thought, well, I better get some insurance and I, I better get an LLC going. And um, that was six and a half years ago. So um, I realized I had a going concern about a year later. And <laughs> like, yeah. I was I like, uh, I better make this real. So. Uh, so yeah, Runcible Studios um, has been up and running for about six and a half years
0: now. I, that's where I remember meeting. Yeah. Right around there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've been <laughs> an active member at Entree Architect from the very beginning. Um, you've been a facilitator for many, many years. One of the original facilitators, one of the the founding members. Um, and so yeah, I've I've watched the whole progress of uh, of Runcible, and it's been fun to watch.
1: Well, and Mark, you were. Uh, a Twitter friend. We met on Twitter, I remember. And when you were starting Entree Architect and when all that was starting, I was like, yes, please let me in. I need help. <laughs> What's going on? So um, yeah, I mean, Entree Architect has been absolutely integral and in my small group, which has been together for over three years now, four years, something like that. Um, just couldn't do it without them. So feel very lucky to have that, have you guys yeah. as a resource.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of you for your progress. Thanks. <laughs> to see <laughs> Thank where you. you've that come from <laughs> and to see where you are today, uh, the leadership you've given to <laughs> other architects inside and outside of Ventre Architect is is commendable and I appreciate you for all all of that.
1: Thank you, Mark. That means a lot.
0: Uh you're welcome. So so w- you started your firm and what what happened from there? Struggled a little bit getting it Yeah.
1: Started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I, um, I like to say I was profitable from day one, but that's because I made a lot of life decisions that made me profitable, like take on an extra roommate and turn the living room into a bedroom and rent out my driveway as parking spots and you know all sorts of weird ways um, to uh, bring my expenses. If you bring your expenses down enough, then you're profitable. <laughs> without yeah, that's bringing very in much true. money. <laughs> Steve Wintner
0: says all the time, he says every dollar of expense is one less dollar of profit.
1: That's right. So, um, so that's how I was profitable early. And I, I was teaching a lot, honestly. So teaching as an adjunct here in the Boston area, there's a ton of schools. So that was very helpful to have um, teaching in the early days, especially. Um, and eventually then teaching became a choice and not something that I was doing to put food on the table and pay the rent and that kind of stuff. Um, so eventually uh I I ran the shop for about 2 years on my own completely um ran it out of a co-working space with a hot desk for $300 a month so no rent you know just keeping it really really slim uh and then um I knew who I wanted to hire for like 8 months like I knew exactly who I wanted to hire he's a friend and colleague from um another firm that I had worked at and I just knew that I wanted him. I knew he was the right one. So I courted him for about six <laughs> months and saved up a bunch of money and told him that I had his salary saved and it was a huge risk coming to me, but I really, really wanted him. And, um, he's still here. That was four and a half years ago. So thanks Jason. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember um, that too. That was, a that poor, was a big, big decision. I <laughs> think you and I had day. some one-on-one conversation yep.
1: about that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things about that is that I hired him. I he he's all but licensed. I mean, it's, he's just not licensed by choice. But, you know, that was a, an important thing that you and I had talked about is uh, to hire the most expensive person you can afford, or maybe even more expensive than you can afford. Um, so many people told me hire an intern, they're cheap. But the conversations we had about it and in my group that we had, it was it was the opposite. It was hire someone who you can give chunks of work to so that you can do other stuff. And I have, I have learned that lesson. Just, I mean, it's just so, so, so important to hire your early hires should be expensive people. I will shout that from the rooftops. Yeah.
0: And that's very hard to do at the moment with that first move, right? Because you you're taking a risk from the beginning just by bringing on anybody, right? Because you never have enough money. That's why you're hiring. That's right. Because you you need to make more money, and you maxed out doing your own solo gig, and so you need to hire somebody, and you can't hire somebody who has no experience because then all of the work that you're doing has to now spend that time on somebody who's inexperienced. Yep. And it's but it is important to hire those interns and inexperienced people, but not your first hire.
1: That's right, and I think interns are. Often better served by working somewhere a little bit more established or um, or a little bit larger so that they can have people who do have time to mentor them. I mean, especially in those early days or even now as a small firm. Architect. I don't have tons of time to do the things that I would want to do to mentor someone who's coming up or spend time to really sit down and teach them what they need to know because I'm running around all the time. So um, so yeah, I think that that's important for both the business and yeah. for the intern, for the profession, you know, right. um, for bringing up, um, you know, good interns.
0: Yeah. So where, where are you now with the business?
1: So now, well, I'll give a snapshot pre-COVID because I think that that yes. is,
0: yeah. yeah, let's move, uh, let roll up, <laughs> up to where pre-COVID
1: and then, yeah, we can talk about February 1st.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so I had rented my first real office space um, about a year and a half ago um, that was not a co-working space. That was not my second bedroom in my rental. That was all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, uh, it was really fun. And I was sharing space with Hourglass Boston, who, um, w- which is an awesome organization um, supporting artists here in the Boston area and doing all sorts of super cool stuff. Um, and we were sharing space, but it wasn't quite the right space, and our lease was coming up, and so we were looking for another space, and we found this space I'm in now, which is kind of a weird anomaly space. So we're we're um, in this like ramshackle converted garage kind of thing right now, um, and we had just moved in. We moved in February first. You know, I had the boards were full. I had just hired another person, really high level registered person, like. I was looking to hire two more. Um, I had never felt more secure (laughs) in where things were going. We had several jobs out of state. We had um, really cool stuff lined up, um, work that was well underway. Um,
0: It was finally all clicking and rolling and
1: all coming together. Yeah. And you know, that's the scariest moment I've learned when you're like, yeah, okay, all right, I got this. Like that's the moment. Um, but usually if something happens to kind of reset you, it's something like, oh, you know, a job slows down yep. or you know, something happens. It isn't a global pandemic sets. Right. The world so, shuts
0: down, literally <laughs> right. for three months.
1: Yeah. So um so it was a really exciting point to to be at. You know, I, I was spending money setting up more workstations and and, and getting ready and Um, And then, you know, here in Boston, we got hit early and we got hit really hard. Um, So mid March, I was, I was teaching, we went, we went all online mid March um, as the students were coming back from spring break. Um, So that was really intense. And I was teaching professional practice. So that was interesting having that all these our grad students getting ready to graduate and we're talking about their job offers are being rescinded and they don't know what's going on and um and then you know the bottom really dropped out we lost all of our work that was related to hospitality retail industrial um we're pretty involved in those sectors and it it just it was all gone within like two weeks um my clients who stopped those projects were wonderful. I just want to, I just want to say they were, they paid me for all the work that we did. They were just wonderful. And I understood the position they were in. They understood the position I was in. And, you know, as a side note, it's taken years and it's something I'm most proud of to develop the, the projects that have those kinds of clients that, um, it wasn't always the case for us. Um, but we just have this amazing slate of clients. And I think that's taken a lot of time and effort to to get the kind of clients that um, that treat us right and that that we you know that there's there's mutual respect and um, all that kind of stuff so they were really wonderful but it was pretty tragic Um, and I was suddenly looking at my bigger office space with more rent my very expensive new employee (laughs) and my I mean this is a common story that that many people have gone through and we basically closed down the office, everybody moved home. And I did that day, that day it was sort of snowing and we closed the office and I I locked the door and I'm like holding my computer in my hands and I just I I started to tear up. I was like I was so close. I was so close and I don't know what's happening now. I'm like going home to sit in my hallway like the old days, <laughs> like I thought I was past this, I was so close, and now I'm like sitting in the hallway with a space heater, like trying to run an architecture office through a pandemic, um, so it was pretty, it was pretty abrupt around here, um, how, how it happened, um, and it was really scary, I mean, we had mask mandates right away, and all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, everyone was just trying to help each other, and trying to figure out what was going on, um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it pretty tough,
0: and it, and it took probably three months or so to sort of realize that it wasn't temporary right nice. I think that's sort of throughout the, the nation it was sort of this oh this we'll just stop doing this for a couple of months and then we'll be right back and then then we realize oh this is going to be longer but you know it'll be a few more months and we'll be right back and oh maybe it'll be a year and we'll be right back and I think somewhere during the summer I think, many people realize this is a long-term semi-permanent situation that we have to adjust to and, and adjust personally. And we have to start looking at our businesses this way and, and start to make some changes and, and, and look at other opportunities and do all the things that we need to do in order to run our businesses. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entre Architect, Arcat and monograph. RCAT.com has been assisting architecture professionals in their search for the best products for their projects for nearly 30 years. Starting as a printed desktop reference with listings in manufacturers catalogs, RCAT has evolved into the number one most used website for finding building product information. Today, RCAT is an invaluable tool for AEC professionals offering a powerful product search engine that's backed up by up-to-date CAD, BIM, and specifications. And just as it was in 1991, today, RCAT offers all of this at no cost to their users and without requiring any registration, it's free. Visit entrearchitect.com slash RCAT today and see why architecture professionals have leveraged the power of RCAT for three decades, entrearchitect.com slash arcat. That's entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. Spreadsheets, spreadsheets. Are you tired of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monograph's integrated suite of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph, try it for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try monograph right now for free. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the entree Architect community. Did, did you have similar experience?
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, I think my, one thing that happened pretty early on was, um, you know, I work is important to me. I I I like working hard. I like I like problem solving. I like um, working hard physically. Like um, that's important to me and and feels good. So in the face of an emergency, I want to know, okay, what can I do? What can I build? What can I, <laughs> you know, how can I help? Like where where's the problem and how can I dive in and help? And the problem that immediately came to uh, to Light here in Boston was lack of PPE. Um, we were getting emails from hospitals saying we have nothing. If you have something in your garage, I mean, it was apocalyptic. It just, it just felt unreal. Um, so I said, well, I know how to sew. So I got out my sewing machine and um, got in touch with some folks who were who were already doing mask making. Um, and volunteered to make masks. And that first batch, to, I made it eight and it took me like four or five days. <laughs> um, and I was like rusty and I didn't know quite how to do it and everything was hard. And plus the psychological part, I'm making masks, like this is so weird. Um, but then after that, you know, I um, started, I ramped up production and I was making masks um, for, for donation um, about 30 to 40 hours a week. So on top of working in the office, 60 to 70 hours a week. So there was a span of about eight to 10 weeks where I was 90 to hundred hours a week um, working in the business. And then I would get up at five, I would sew for two hours, I'd go to, into the office, AKA the other room. Um, and, um, I uh, eventually, as I, as I mentioned, we, had, uh, we share space with Hourglass Boston, and they um, were trying to figure out how to support artists um, and get PPE where it needed to go at the time, too. And we were brainstorming about how we could work together on that. Um, and I remember saying um, to Nicole, who runs Hourglass, I said, hey, what if we just sold masks on your website? Um, like, they have a store. And I said, well, why don't we just try it? And we put up, I think, 20 masks and they sold out in like four minutes. <laughs> so so we, <laughs> we were like, delightful. oh, whoops. <laughs> um, so I guess maybe this is a thing. So I started producing masks um, and she would buy them for me and then sell them on her site uh, marked up. So we were both getting paid. I was buying all my material locally um, from a shop that was down the street, but that I couldn't go into because everything was closed, so they would deliver me fabric in brown bags on my porch, and then um, I would uh, sew and drop, individually package them and drop them off remotely to Nicole, who would put them on her site, and then she would mail them out. Um, And that was wild. We had a spreadsheet saying, you know, here are the different designs, here's how many we anticipate selling, here's what we're doing. Um, then we got started having fun with it and started doing fun photo shoots with them and like, you know, having, um, people do these cool selfies with them. And then of course, because I'm a, uh, so, so honestly that, that actually, that brought in real money that brought in real money that paid me that month. Um, for, that paid my salary that, I mean, a reduced salary, but it paid, it, yeah, paid me that it
0: month. covered your expenses.
1: Yep. Um, and you know, of course I'm an architect, so I can't leave well enough alone. So I was, I was sitting, I was like, there's gotta be a better way to make these masks. These ear loops kind of hurt, you know, like I'm not, there's gotta be a better way. So I started experimenting. Just before you
0: get into that, that's oh, yeah. because you're an entrepreneur architect.
1: Oh, right. I'm an entrepreneur architect. <laughs>
0: that's why yeah. that's happening.
1: That's true. That is very true. That's an important distinction. It's both, yes. It's yeah. both sides
0: of you that, that, yeah. that saw that and realized there needed to be more
1: innovation there was room for innovation yep. um so I started experimenting with different materials and I was on Etsy like buying all this so any money that I was like making quote unquote I was spending on new weird materials trying to figure out like better ways to make the mask and then I would wear them out and get people's reactions or test them and see what was comfortable or what wasn't and ended up landing on a new behind the head design that had, that's made out of um like a uh, shoelace. So I found this company in Atlanta that was selling shoelaces <laughs> um, that are that are stretchy um, and then they had I put a bought a toggle and put it on the back and so they're adjustable. So I started selling those on my website, which didn't have a store or anything. but I was like, oh, well, I am on my website's a Squarespace site, so it has the store plugin for an extra $10 a month or whatever it was. And I said, well, what else am I doing? I'm working hundred hours a week. I might as well like see what the store is about. So, uh, so yeah, I thought, why don't I just try this? So I put my masks up and marketed them separately from the ones we were selling at Hourglass um, because these are the behind the head ones and they were different designs and uh, people were into them. <laughs> So I was um, still making masks for donations, still making masks for Runcible, uh, or still making masks for Hourglass. And then I was making masks for for Runcible. That's a, lot of, masks.
0: And a were, lot of masks. Were you doing that all yourself or did you have help at that point?
1: Um, I was doing it almost all by myself. Um, James, who was working for us at the time, he was um, making masks for donations. So he made, um, I think he made about, Maybe like 50 for donation, something like that. Um, and my count is up, donation and the ones I've sold. I'm, I don't know, I'm over. It's like 1,700, I think that I've made. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I can make the, I've got a whole system. There's an assembly <laughs> line. There's a whole system.
0: <laughs> and you're still um, practicing architecture. On oh top right, of all, I'm all running.
1: I'm running the business. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, uh, you yeah. didn't shut down the architecture no. studio to do this new business. You're doing no. this together.
1: <laughs> Why not? Um, I mean, there, there did come a point where I did kind of shut down. I was so exhausted, um, that I, I did have to take a step back and say, okay, well, a hundred hours a week is not sustainable. Um, that's, it's not, it's, it's not okay. <laughs> um, and you know, I realized I was also kind of an emotional reaction to an emergency is to dive in and work as hard as I can. Um and that's fine, but it's not an emergency. This is now life. As you as you were saying, this is now what life is. So right. I have to really readjust everything. And if I want to do all this stuff, I have to really readjust so that I can do this in, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week and not. I, I'm very committed to not working a hundred hours a week. That's that's not right. That's not okay. I had to give up powerlifting during that whole time. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, that's um, that wasn't okay. So I did have to make a major readjustment and say, Hey, if you want to do all this stuff, then you've gotta you've gotta change some things. Um,
0: so what did what did you do at that point where, where you realized I'm making a, a big difference here. I'm 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 making a lot of masks, I'm making some money. I like what I'm doing. I'm helping. Um, but this is not sustainable. This is, this is, I'm going to crash eventually. And this, then nobody's any good, right? You're no good. The the people you're helping won't be helped anymore. So when you were at that moment, what did you do? And then what were some of the changes that you made?
1: So I recognized, um, it's always good to, when, when you're head down, you're working really hard to like lift your head up for a minute and look around (laughs) like, um, like, Prairie dogs or meerkats or whatever, like they stand up and they look around for a minute and just get a lay of the land. And I realized that many people by this point were making masks for donation and also PPE production had caught up. So I didn't, I, I could still make them for donation, but I wasn't needed as much as I was before. So I backed off on that. Um, You know, I'll still make masks for donation if requested, or if somebody needs one, I'm happy to give them one. Um, but that but by that time things had caught up and people were so so that kind of went away on its own um, at the office you know we so much of our work had slowed down that you know it, I wasn't and so much of it had just gone away that we weren't as busy at the office. We had, um, some work that was, we had one particular project that was very steady and we were pinch hitting for another architect in Philly working, working for them. And so that was an easy one. Oh, by the way, we were also learning Revit as an office during this. So (laughs) (laughs) it was like, well, Hey, like we've got this project, you know, let's just give it a try. You know, let's, let's focus in, let's try to learn Revit in these times. And, you know, I'll take the odds and ends. And we had two projects that were wrapping up construction and I could sort of see that I wasn't getting the number of inquiries I usually get. I wasn't, you know, and I, I sort of did the math. I said, okay, what do I need to do to make it through 2020? Like, what do I need to do? And I basically figured out that at starvation rate, like keeping, keeping everyone's pay the same, yep. um, but spending not an extra penny anywhere, being really careful. Making sure to stay on top of invoicing, that with our current, this was this was midsummer as I figured this out, that we would make it to the end of the year. I didn't know what would happen in January, but I knew we would make it to the end of the year. So that gave me enormous peace of mind. Um, And once I knew that, then I I had the freedom to not be so frantic to chase work or to take bad work. Um, And I learned that lesson so. Acutely before that, taking bad work is never worth it. Yeah, that I wasn't tempted to take bad work, and I think that was this. That is very different than me three years ago or four years ago at the very beginning, taking crappy work because I'm scared of not having, not being able to pay people. Yeah. Um, so I didn't take bad work. I only I stuck with the work we had and um, worked really hard to make sure we were we were sticking with it. So it, so some of it happened naturally. And then some of it was, um, you know, uh, and then, you know, some oddball things happened. Like uh, James was working for us, who I'd hired in February, Uh, went back to grad school. So, you know, that helps the old bottom line. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And I decided not to rehire um, at this time. I would love to rehire. I would have loved if he would have stayed. But I would, you know, um, but at the same time, I decided not to rehire and let that. That was a big help. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, to to have a payroll cut a little bit, so I th- a couple of those things kind of came into into focus, um, and that helped. Uh, so, you,
0: so you evaluated your situation. The meerkat popped up, looked yeah. around. Wait a minute, this I could make some changes here and and still benefit the people that I need to benefit. I can still focus on the things I want to focus. Then there were a few things that, that because of the condition and the situation that we're in, sort of made made changes for you. Right. And you, you took advantage of those and not rehired those. And so, so you have some opportunities for additional, um, or, or fewer expenses, which, you know, it helps your bottom line. Um, and then, so now at this point, are you sort of have the plan for the rest of the year and know where you're going and what you're doing for the, for the next few months?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think so. We're, um, we've got work lined up um that that's solid that we're excited about Um, you know and um we've also got my most recent project which is another uh out (laughs) um in addition to the meerkat popping up and looking around and seeing what was going on i also needed to evaluate how to keep myself going through all of this um you know um my uh our our entre architect mastermind group met every week, sometimes for extra meetings um, throughout this whole time, and was a huge support system through that. Um, and also, it became clear to me that I needed to find other things um, to kind of keep me going and keep me um, fueled and excited and um, and hopeful. Um, and the mask adventure, putting the mask on my website, was part of that. So um, I decided to try um, selling other things on my website. <laughs> um, and so this was a late summer development that I, that I thought I would give a try. Um, and you know, we put up our first round of t-shirts and sweatshirts and things. Um, we have a line of, um, their, uh, dropships so I don't have to, uh, stock everything. So they're custom printed for each person who orders it. Um, and, I thought I wanted to have, um, something that reflected our values at Rensible and my sort of spirit around building. So we have, uh, a couple of different ones. One says I can build that with a period of that. (laughs) I can build that. Um, as I thought about what our world is going through and, you know, I should also say that during this time, as we were experiencing, um, you know, the sort of um, next uh, iteration of civil rights as it was happening here in Boston and, and throughout our country. Um, we took active part in in, in those movements, um, came out very strongly in, um, uh, in support of Black Lives Matter. And as part of that, I started to think about what it meant to take a stand about my values as a person and as a business owner. And the phrase, I can build that, really meant a lot uh really encapsulated a lot um it reminded me of being five years old and building my fort you know i can build that i can do that yeah yeah. it reminded me of what i heard um uh community leaders and and people that inspire me saying about the kind of world they wanted to build the kind of just society you know we can we can build that i can build that yeah um everyone is a builder in one way or another and uh, even in times where things are very uh, unsure or where things are coming to light that, um, you know, that are systemic and that are problematic in our world, um, it, that, that, we, that we need to change. Um, so, uh, so that's where that came from. So we, um, we have our I can build that. And then uh, we have our I heart buildings. <laughs> So I thought, you know, what am I always saying? I'm like, I love buildings, I just do. So, so we we tried that out. And it was really fun. Um, and then our other, the other design was a a list of um, women of architecture. So I started to think about who are the the women uh, who've who paved the way um, in this field. Um, and it started off. Uh, we did a whole series this summer on social media, a uh, series of stories. I'm um, showcasing um, pioneering black architects um, and uh, it it reminded me of these names that I had and, and these these people that I had learned about before and that wanted that I wanted to sort of bring back into our um, Into our consciousness. So uh, I started with a list of um, women architects and um, I was nervous to make a shirt that had this list of names um, because I would forget someone or someone yeah. would say you should have put this person and not that person. And, and I welcome that kind of commentary and that kind of conversation. So what I, I, I tried to solve it. I think I solved it by leaving a blank at the bottom. So <laughs> there's the list of, of names. And then it says, and, and then there's a line so that you can add someone else that has inspired you or maybe yourself or someone that, you know. Um, so we have note cards and tote bags and t-shirts and, all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, so I guess I now am a clothing designer or a t-shirt designer. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You could add Um, that to the list. Clothing designer, fashion, fashion designer, uh, uh, retail mogul.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's the plan. So, um, so yeah, they're all up there. We're getting ready for our next big drop of cool. Probably what, when this podcast goes up, we'll have our whole new line up. Um, I uh, worked, um, the the next line is all inspired by um, architectural drafting symbols. So um, we have door swings and beds and tables and, you know, all sorts of weird things. Um, the idea being that uh, I wanted to create some graphic tees that were cool that architects might think were they, they understood the deeper joke, but non-architects would be like, that's a cool design. So, um, so yeah, so now we have a whole line of t-shirts and all sorts of designs and we've been doing photo shoots, Mark, like these super fun photo shoots with all kinds of fun artists and collaborators and it's been really fun. So that's, that's part of it. It's about obviously it's there to help us be profitable and help us make money as a business. But it's also there because it's a wonderful way for us to um, uh, work with other artists, collaborate in ways that allow us to, to funnel money towards the art community um, here in Boston. And spread um, a very,
0: really positive, powerful message while you're at it. Yeah,
1: that's the hope. So that's what we're doing. Um, I'd love for everyone to go buy t-shirts, but I'm also just excited to, to have gone through the process
0: and to to be tinkering with it um so yeah we're having fun with it yeah so people can go right now slash shop is where you can go to check out the whole collection the modinger collection the <laughs> fall 2020 Mo- modinger and runcible collection uh, runciblestudios with an s.com shop um, what a wonderful journey you've had marilyn i love how um, everything that is presented to you you, you, you embrace it, you analyze it, you deal with it, you get through it, and then, you, and then you proceed and progress. You make it into something bigger and better and more powerful and more positive. Um, you are a role model for architects throughout the world. They should go check out RuncibleStudios.com and see what you do. Uh, they should definitely connect with you on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn definitely connect with Marilyn on Twitter at MW Modinger, Um, personal Twitter feed, uh, very powerful messages that you're sharing there. Um, So they should definitely connect with you there. Um, Before we wrap up, Marilyn, I'd like you to answer the one question that I ask everybody here. What is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: Well, um, I think, uh, I'll share a, sh- a quick story, um, you know, as I-, I mentioned that we're in this space, we're sharing with Hourglass Boston. We're also sharing with another important collaborator in here, um, Jay Birdie Fitness, who happens to be my roommate. Jessie Burdick happens to be my roommate and she's a strength and conditioning coach. And she um, had to start her business during the pandemic because she lost her her other positions at gyms. We pulled together a bunch of equipment but she didn't have anywhere to go. Well, I looked around and said, why this big old office space with a giant conference room? Why don't you take over the conference room? So now we've got an artist group, an architecture firm, and a powerlifting gym in one (laughs) space. And we're all socially distanced. We're doing it all the right way. Contact tracing, all that good stuff. Um, But, you know, I share this story because we're, what's the one thing you can do find the things and the people that fuel you and that make you excited and that make you want to do your work you know who says that you can't put a powerlifting studio next to an artist space next to an architect space who says you can't nobody says that or if they do ignore them you know it's not who said that you can't start a retail store if you if you want to I I think so many times as architects, we sort of self, we stop ourselves. We don't ask, how many times have you put together an invoice and and you say, oh, well, I shouldn't ask for that much. So I'm going to take money off of it before somebody else told you to. Yeah. So finding things that fuel you, that keep you excited, that don't say no to yourself before you've even tried something before, you know, nothing's permanent. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The shop doesn't work okay, that was fun, you know, um, at some point, will there be other people in this space? Or maybe a year from now, we won't all be here? Okay, but we have this wild, wonderful story of of these three businesses that are making it happen in this weird way. And so I think it, it's just what you can do is, is fuel your curiosity, find things that feed you. And, and don't, don't be afraid Afraid. It's scary, but, but you don't have to be afraid. If it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's okay. very Because sometimes it will work and it'll yeah. be awesome.
0: <laughs> and and usually it will work.
1: Usually That's it does. That's the thing yeah. is that if
0: you're following the, your passion and you really That's love right. what you're doing, it may not make the money that you expected, but you're going to be happy doing it.
1: Exactly.
0: Right. And maybe, maybe you need to make adjustments or stop doing it in the future, but it'll, it'll add, I mean, listen, just look at Marilyn's story from the very beginning. <laughs> through now, it's always been these these big experiments. Just jump in and do it and see how it works. And the things that don't work, stop doing them. And the things that, right, meerkat.
1: That's right. <laughs> I'm looking
0: around, those things aren't, aren't working, or I can I can let those go and I could focus on those things and make those bigger and better, and then do it again and again and again and again. So very powerful suggestion there, very wise answer to that question, Marilyn. Um, Marilyn's name is Marilyn Modinger. It's M-O-E-D-I-N-G-E-R. Marilyn Modinger. Runcible Studios with an S dot com is the website. Go check that out. You can click the little shopping bag at the top right corner if you want to go right to the store from there. Um, or just go to Runcible dot com slash shop and go buy something. Go buy something right now. Yes. please. <laughs> care what it is. <laughs> buy one thing. And then and then take that link. I say this about the podcast every every week. But take Runcible dot com slash shop and send it to a friend. One friend, that's it. Just one friend. So everybody who's listening, go buy something and then go encourage somebody else to go buy something. Um, you can connect with Runcible Studios on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. You can just search for Runcible Studios. We'll have links in the show notes as well. Uh, again, Marilyn's on Twitter, MW Modinger, uh, on Twitter, Marilyn, I really, I value our friendship. I, uh, I, I, you are a very important person in my life and, uh, You and I have had many, many deep conversations separate from Entree Architect, separate from architecture, Um, and I I value your input in my life, being part of my life. Uh, You're an inspiration to me and to many, many people out there. Um, Thank you for sharing your knowledge here today, but thank you for everything that you do for everybody that you do it for because you are a very selfless person. Uh, and you're working really hard at making the world a better place. And I appreciate you for that. And I appreciate you for sharing your knowledge today at Entre Architect Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, so much, Mark. It was was my pleasure.
0: You've been listening to episode 348 with my friend Marilyn Modinger. How inspiring was that episode? If this is an, an episode that you would like to share with a friend, uh, if you'd like to access the show notes, there is a link to be able to do that. entrearchitect.com slash episode 348. That is the link to share with a friend. Please do that. Share that right now. Pop that, that link, entrearchitect.com episode 348, right into an email and send that to a friend. Post it in Facebook, tweet it out on Twitter. Do it in all the places, entrearchitect.com slash episode 348 and we will continue to grow this podcast so we can continue to serve the profession of architecture. Entre Architect is a proud member of the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. Curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at Gable Media. Gablemedia.com, that's the place to check it out. at gablemedia.com, that's g-a-b-l-media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership, ready to edit business resources. You might need those, right? Live monthly training every month, a new expert coming in and training for us and a supportive architect community waiting for you. It's all waiting for you at Entree Architect Academy membership. Learn more and enroll right now at entreearchitect.com slash join. Did you know it's free for 30 days? You can come in, check it out. You can even hang out with us at the live monthly training for free, 30 days. If you like it, stick around. If you don't, cancel your membership, no cost. entreearchitectcom slash join. I hope to see you there. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, be happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today to the Entree Architect podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know.